It is good to be entering the fall holidays, as we call them here in this hemisphere. Of course, uh, that's in northern hemisphere only, but uh, that's what we refer to them up here, fall holidays, and it seems like there's more and more taking place in the world, the signs that the events that these days foretell are uh, coming closer and closer, as we've already heard today. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, and we'll start there in the sermon this afternoon. Luke 21 and verse 25, picking up the same topic of what we heard this morning about some of the events that are going to happen as portrayed by this this day. The, some of the events in the day of the Lord, verse 25, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So as we read about some of these events that are going to happen and that are portrayed by the Feast of Trumpets, we see that Christ is talking about these events, and certainly there will be a lot of concern for those who are experiencing them, even fear. Men's hearts failing them in fear of of expectation of what's happening. Mr. Strain explained that this morning, and we heard a little bit about that in the sermon as well. But notice something else, Luke 21 and verse 28. Something a little bit different. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So in the same context, we see a very different reaction. We see God's people in expectation of their Savior's return, the hope of generations and generations for thousands of years finally coming to pass, the return of the Messiah. So you have this contrasting picture of people that are living At that time on the earth, human beings and responding to these two events, this event in two very different ways. One is with human fear and the other is frankly with godly fear, if you think about it. Again, it's natural that people will be reacting with human fear when we read of all the events that will happen in the tribulation and day of the Lord. But do the fall feast days that we are beginning now, trumpets, atonement, tabernacles, last great day, do these feast days, and trumpets in particular, have anything to do with godly fear? We'll talk about that a little bit today. If you want a title... Godly fear and the Feast of Trumpets. Godly fear and the Feast of Trumpets. Let's jump right in and and see if we can establish some uh, things that we can learn about this, about godly fear in the context of the Feast of Trumpets. And we'll we'll nail down several, several points and we'll jump right in with the first point. Number one, number one, The world does not understand the difference between godly fear and human fear. The world does not understand the difference between godly fear and human fear. And you know, maybe there's a lot of confusion, sometimes even among us, about fear because we have one English word for fear, And yet, there are different concepts that are encompassed by that one word. Let's turn over to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20, and we see an example of that. 
Sometimes we can get confused between the difference between godly fear and just human, carnal, normal, natural fear, we might say. But those are two very, very different things. We, we find in Exodus chapter 20, after the giving of the law, when God thundered his voice from the mountain so all could hear, and then we found a response from the people, and we find that in verse Verse 18, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. Okay. Stop right there a second and think about what Moses just said. He said, don't fear because God wants you to fear. Is that confusing? Same word, two obviously different meanings. And really it depends on the context, doesn't it? What's even more confusing is it's the same Hebrew word. In Strong's Concordance, it's listed as number 3372. Yare, I'm sure that's not the right pronunciation, but uh, that's the way it's transliterated. It's a root in the Hebrew language to fear, to frighten, or morally to revere. So you have these two contrasting meanings with the same Hebrew word. How do we understand what it's talking about? Clearly the context. Clearly the context. What's interesting also is the response. It says, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, don't fear, in a human way, in a carnal way, in a, in a normal worldly way. For God has come to test you and that his fear, godly fear, may be before you so that you may not sin. Verse 21, and notice this. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. You notice that human carnal fear caused the people to run in the opposite direction. But godly fear caused Moses to draw near to God. We're going to see that play out as we, as we look at other examples. And we think about this in this context. Now, did, uh, did Moses have a little bit of normal fear, uh, carnal fear, human fear, you might say, in this as well? I think so. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews 12, 21, describing this incident, it says, So terrifying, or phobia, Greek word, was the sight of that moment that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid, phobia, and trembling, in tromos, trembling with terror. So clearly Moses was a little bit overwhelmed by the whole experience of the, the trumpets and the, 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 the fire and the booming voice and the smoke off the mountain. S- seeing the, the presence in that sense, the, uh, the evidence of the presence of God. And yet he wasn't fearful to run away. He drew near to God. So a very different different thing from the other people. You know, when we think about the time of Christ's return in Luke 21, we read earlier, if we are alive to see that day, and we are a part of God's family and a part of Christ's body, and we are responding to it in a rejoicing way, don't you feel like it'll be a little bit overwhelming, though, too? Just seeing everything that is happening around us, even though we will want to be joined to God and we will want to be drawn to God as well, and we'll be rejoicing for that moment when it's finally come. But it'll be a pretty powerful moment. As well, the same thing is found in Matthew chapter 10. Let's turn over there in the New Testament, 
having to do with this, this word fear and the concept of fear and different, really different definitions, different concepts that, that come from the same word. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Jesus was explaining. He said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So here we, we see almost the same thing. Do not fear, but do fear. How are we supposed to take that? Again, do not fear in a normal, carnal, human sense, fear men, but do have a awe and reverence for God. Same word, though, fear, English word, and in the Greek, I think uh, it is also the same word as well. Yes, phobio, just like we get the word uh, phobia. So we have to look at the context. Now, is, is he saying, is Christ saying that don't be terrified of people, but yeah, you should be terrified of God. Yes, we should have God in, in awe and, and respect and deep reverence, but look at the context. He also says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Does Christ want us to be so afraid of God that we run from him? Or does he want us to have godly fear so we're drawn to him because we know how great he is, as we just heard in the special music, but we also know how much he cares for us and how much he loves us. That's the context. Godly fear is very, very different than human fear. Which leads us to the second point. The second point. Number two, we live in a world filled with fear. We live in a world filled with fear. This really goes without saying. You ever notice when someone says, this really goes without saying, they're going to say it anyway? Why is that? I don't know. But I'm going to say it anyway, okay? Because we live in a world filled with fear. That's all around us. Uh, again, we see a perfect example of it in what we just read in Luke 21, how the vast majority of humankind is going to respond in a certain way when Christ returns. And that is in a terrified state. Because the vast majority of human beings don't have or understand godly fear. We are living, in one sense, in, a, in an era of fear today. By whatever measure, people are more anxious and more worried today than, than for some time. Whether you look at COVID and how that's going in the wrong direction, or you look at our out-of-control debt and how, where is our future? Where is our children's future? Or political strife, or the decay of our morals, or the humiliation of our military and the potential for terrorist attacks. People are worried. We're living in an era of fear. There are some interesting accounts when we look at history about and insights about what's happening today. Let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, because there is a, a, a story here, an account here in the history of Judah about something that was happening back then, a long time ago, during the days of Ahaz. And we'll pick up the story here in chapter uh, 7 and verse 1. came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods 
are moved with the wind. Description of normal, carnal human fear, right? Verse 3, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, verse 4, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, the son of Ramalia. In other words, God said he was going to take care of him. He was going to take care of these enemies. He just said, don't worry about them. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Trust in me. Well, King Ahaz did not follow that example or, or advice, and instead he hired the Assyrians. He hired the Assyrians to come down and to fight on his behalf, on Judah's behalf, and that brought a new warning from God, from Isaiah. Essentially, that because you have not looked to me as your protection, but to Assyria, then Assyria is going to come back again and they are going to overwhelm you. They will not be your ally next time. Because you didn't look to me, instead you let your fear get away from you. And then, in chapter 8 and verse 11, there's a really interesting section here. Chapter 8 and verse 11, God is talking to Isaiah. And I think there's a lesson for us today. Verse 11, For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, verse 12, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. There are some different translations of this. And um, a lot of the other translations, including the King James, have a a slightly different uh, sense to it. I'll just read from the International Standard Version. It says, Don't call conspiracy everything that this people calls conspiracy. And don't fear what they fear or live in terror. In other words, God was telling Isaiah, Don't get caught up in the conspiracy theories of the day. Don't worry about them. Don't be focused on them. Don't let them drive your fear. Don't be afraid of what others are afraid of. Brethren, is there any possible correlation for our day today? You know, half of this country doesn't believe anything the other half says. And frankly accuses the other half of being in a conspiracy to destroy the country, right? I mean, this is almost like it's taken right out of the headlines when you read this. What are we to do? Well, again, don't call conspiracy everything that this people calls conspiracy, and don't fear what they fear or live in terror. And then notice what... He said to Isaiah next, verse 13, The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. In other words, don't focus on what everyone else is afraid of. Focus on me. Look to me. Think about me with awe and deep respect and reverence, knowing who I am and also knowing how much I care for you. Get your eyes on me. Start taking seriously what I say and what I think instead of the drama going on around you. You know, there is one conspiracy that we should be focused on. And that's the one that the next Holy Day has to do with. The conspiracy that Satan the devil has foisted on this whole world and that is deceiving virtually everyone. And how his conspiracy to overthrow the plan of God will be demolished. And God will take care of that. That's the true conspiracy that everybody else is missing. And we can do something about that one. We can overcome Satan in our lives. We can humble 
ourselves. We can learn to fear God. We can be a part of what God is doing to finally deal with him. And again, we'll learn about that in not too many days. But he said, don't get distracted or worried or focused on the conspiracies of the day or the fears of the day. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe or secure or set on high. As we approach the return of Christ, brethren, where is our thinking? We can't get pulled into the same thinking of this world, including the fears of this world, of a decaying and dying civilization. That brings us to another point here which might sound odd when you think of the context of what we've just been talking about, but we'll show it's true. Number three, number three, in the future, all the world will have godly fear. In the future, all the world will have godly fear. So we're going to fast forward a little bit to after the tribulation, after the day of the Lord. Will it always be the way it is now? Will it always be with mankind shaking his fist against God and cowering in fear when these things come to pass that we've heard? Let's project ourselves a few weeks into the future. And some of the things we'll be reading, Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. The Bible predicts, and we really... We know this. This is not a surprise, but the Bible predicts that what's happening now will totally reverse in the future. Isaiah 59, and uh, you know the whole chapter here is talking about again a a degenerate civilization, culture, society that is off the rails. Uh, Verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Verse 4, No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. Verse 7, Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Verse 8, The way of peace they know not. Verse 14, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off and truth is fallen in the street. Verse 15, so truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Another another description of, of our day today. But notice verse the end of verse 15. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased, displeased him that there was no justice. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. In other words, Jesus Christ was sent here to intervene personally. First as a suffering and dying Savior for the sins of all of us, but the second time to intervene to save man from himself. And notice in verse Verse 17, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, was clad with zeal as a cloak. Verse 18, according to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. The coastlands he will fully repay. So shall they fear. The name of the Lord from the west in his glory from the rising of the sun. Will the whole world learn to fear God? I think the answer is a resounding yes. From the east to the west. Now, will it be just a sort of grudging fear? Let's turn over to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32. Will it, will it only be when he comes and cracks heads that they bow down, but they don't really mean it. They just know there's a new sheriff in town. Is that the way it's going to be? Well, you know, at first, that certainly will probably be the reaction. But it won't stay there. 
Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 39. Because as we learn in the millennium, in the Feast of Tabernacles, what's going to happen during the millennium? Verse 39. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. Is it going to be only a surface level fear? Only a human carnal fear for a thousand years? Or is God going to change their heart, all mankind, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them? Verse 40, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Remember what we... We're talking about with Moses before how because of his godly fear, Moses didn't run away from God. Moses ran towards God. And this godly fear that the whole world will have, the Bible predicts it, will be a type of fear that will will bring people to God so they will never depart from Him. Totally different than the the fear rampant in our day today. Now, of course, the obvious question as we go along here is, if this is happening to the whole world, where eventually they will be drawn to God, are, are we learning that now? Are we having that kind of godly fear in our lives, where we are being drawn to God? We have the opportunity to seek Him. Are we... Doing it, we'll have we'll come back to that later. Notice in Psalm 33, another uh, illustration here. Psalm 33 about the future, about something that is going to happen all over the place. Very, very different from our day today. Psalm 33 and verse 8. Verse 8, this is a beautiful scripture. And, you know, in some ways a great summary scripture of the millennium. Verse 8, Psalm 33, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe. Verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His mercy to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in famine. So we see that right now we're living in a world racked with fear. We've seen that in the future it will be flip-flopped. It'll be totally reversed. It'll be the vast majority of mankind will be learning godly fear. Very different than today. Which brings us to the fourth point. I just gave it away. Number four, godly fear must be learned. Godly fear must be learned. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen naturally. You know, there is a type of fear that is somewhat instinctive, like running from a lion or a bear. If, if there was a grizzly bear that ran through that door right now, I think we would, at least, especially Mr. Hazen back there, you know, some of us would, would respond with a little bit of normal human fear, right? No, Mr. Hazen wouldn't be afraid. He would have a grizzly bear. You know, if something happens like that, we would respond and react in a certain instinctive way, right? Or a little child being afraid of the dark. I still remember uh, being as, as a little kid. One night I was, I was lying there awake and I was looking in the hallway and I, I saw what looked like a silhouette of a, of a man, a scary man, you know. And that really kept me up for a while. And I finally was able to, to fall asleep. And the next day I looked at the same, and it was a plant. It was a plant. wasn't as scary once I saw that, you know, it was, uh, the lights were on. But there are, there are things that we, we don't, they're not necessarily learned, right? They're just instinctive. There are things that happen. There are things that we, 
just do instinctively. But there are other types of fear that really are learned in the human realm. And, of course, not all fear is bad. Not all learned fear is bad, as we heard in the, in the sermon this morning. You know, if we fear consequences, then, then they can, that can make us wary and careful and avoid bad results. That can be a good thing. If we, if we fear getting run over by a car and being squished like a pancake, you know, uh, then we'll be wary of running out in traffic. It doesn't mean we're consumed by fear of getting hit by a car, but we're wary and careful. Or maybe we don't run for, with a scissors. Did any of you learn that, you know, as a kid? Your parents said, don't run with the scissors and make sure the point goes down, right? Well, that is a good learned fear of stabbing yourself with the scissors. You, you don't want to, you want to avoid that. But sometimes learned fear can be damaging. Sometimes as a child, if we see conflict in our parents' lives, even divorce, that can leave permanent scars. That can leave very, very difficult things. We might be afraid of marriage. We might be afraid of following the same steps as our parents. And that fear can get in the way of pursuing a marriage relationship. It doesn't have to. But because we learned that, it's very easy for that to, to replay in our, in our minds. You know, as a child, if our, if our parents are, are, let's say, overly fearful that we're going to hurt ourselves, we're going to absorb that fearfulness too. If we are never allowed to do things that have a little bit of risk, then, then we're going to learn fear. But again, those patterns can be unlearned, but they, they are learned. <clears throat> People can learn cultural fear. You know, if one national or ethnic or racial group is fearful and hateful of another, that's passed on to the next generation. I think I remember some time ago reading about the Palestinian and Israeli conflict, how, how, how some in that conflict were taught from children to look at the others as dogs and not human beings. That's hatred and fear learned from a small child. Fear can be learned. And fear in the wrong sense, in a, a spiritual sense, doctrinal sense, can be learned as well. Notice in Isaiah 29, Isaiah 29, 13. Uh, this is where God says, or the Bible talks about misplaced fear towards God, too. Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13. Isaiah says, or God says, there's 13. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. How many people in this world's churches learn of a fear of God who's going to burn everyone in hell who doesn't believe? That's a misplaced fear. A fear of a God who does not have right and proper justice and mercy. Who's going to burn people in hell even if they never had an opportunity to repent. Or, on the other hand, they might look at and, and teach the fear of God from the opposite extreme, where everybody's going to be in heaven no matter what they did, no matter how they lived, doesn't matter. God is sort of a doddering old fool. He doesn't really keep track of those things. He's going to let everybody in. There are all kinds of crazy, misplaced ideas about the fear of God that will have to be unlearned and the right will have to be learned. Notice in Psalm 34. Psalm 34. <clears throat> Remember how we, we talk about in the at the Feast of Tabernacles how they will learn war no more. Well, guess what? They will learn fear no more. There will be a different type of fear that is learned in the future. 
in the millennium. We see references all over the Bible about it. Psalm 34 and verse 11. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Proper fear of God has to be taught. It has to be taught. It doesn't come naturally. It's not just a visceral reaction like if a bear runs into the room, as unlikely as that would be. Why do we go to the feast? To learn how to fear God. Notice in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 10. Undoubtedly, we will hear this scripture at the feast. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 10. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 31, gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. We go to the feast. Why? To learn godly fear. And we can think of a thousand different ways that that works and that that we learn that. I'm even saving second tithe. We are thinking about God's direction and God's law and God's commandments and God's way of life all through the year, and we save second tithe. We go to the place where he chooses to place his name. How does that happen? How do we know where he has placed his name? Well, it, it happens through his church, doesn't it? And we trust that. We, we believe that. And we look to him for that. And a lot of different ways that we learn the fear of God by going to the feast and at the feast. Verse 13, And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. So learning fear is a fundamental step that will happen to a whole world, and we are learning it now. We have the chance to learn it now. This brings us to the next point. Number five, learning godly fear involves being drawn into a close relationship with God. Learning godly fear involves being drawn into a close relationship with God. Remember that example of Moses drawing near the mount and the children of Israel running away from the mount. That's about as clear and crystal clear as you can possibly get about the differences. But brethren, godly fear involves us being drawn closer to God. Let's turn over to Amos chapter 4 and verse 6. Amos chapter 4 and verse 6. And we've heard so much about the Feast of Trumpets, about the Day of the Lord today about what it's it's going to be like, about what's going to happen, the details of it, the alarm, the, the warning that we are giving in this work. And believe it or not, the events that the Feast of Trumpets picture are the starting point for this happening, what we're talking about today. Godly fear enveloping the whole world. Amos chapter 4, and uh, you know, as you go through this chapter, you can, you can see different things that he is, was accusing or, or holding that generation to. Verse 6, he says, Also I gave you cleanness of teeth in all of your cities. It doesn't mean they had great dental plans. It meant that they didn't have enough to eat. And lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Verse 7, I withheld rain from you when there were still three months to the harvest. Verse 8, so two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Verse 9, I blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, the locusts devoured them, yet you have not returned to me. The same progress, the process that we were talking about before, 
when God starts to take away blessings, the whole idea is to get their attention, to get our attention. And yet he's saying, you have not returned to me in spite of all these. Verse 10, I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with a sword. Along with your captive horses, I made the stench of your camps come up into your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned me to me, says the Lord. Verse 12, Therefore thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Now, brethren, isn't that what we've been talking about today? The time when our people and essentially the whole world will come face to face with God. And it will be a terrifying realization. But it will be the beginning of a process where they meet God. You see, this doesn't have to be taken only in a negative, only in a punishment sense. Because, yes, they are judgments. But those judgments are for the purpose of starting to lead along a process when the nations of Israel and the whole world begin to get to know God. They will meet God. This day pictures it. You know, it reminds me, Mr. Mr. Smith shared with us a few days ago a quote that he read. I hope he doesn't mind if I, uh, if I pass this on. He might have been saving it for another sermon later on. Sorry about that. Um, but he said there's a, there's a Lutheran minister that he occasionally uh, sees that, uh, on Twitter who wrote this. The absolute best take on COVID data is that no one really knows what's going on. So we should just acknowledge that we're experiencing the judgment of God and repent. Good point. Very, very, very wise statement by that Lutheran minister. The point is, there's a plan going on. And, you know, we can get so wrapped up in the conspiracy, in the drama, in the fear... And we can forget that God is working out a plan. Judgments and punishment, but leading to a relationship. And brethren, isn't that so true in in so many situations, even perhaps in, in your calling? You know, how many people have, did God get their attention by a life threatening situation? By a car accident, perhaps, or by a difficult health problem, or losing a loved one. And that moment, that difficult situation, that turned their life. They came face to face with God in that sense. And there was a lot of fear involved. And there was a lot of soul searching, like, where is my life going? And oftentimes God starts there and then he moves on to developing a relationship, to drawing the person in. And it's not wrong for us to understand that the initial thing that, that attracts us oftentimes is we want to be saved from danger. We want to be saved from harm. We want to be protected. And God gets our attention. You know, prophecy is the number one topic that people respond to on the telecast. Why? They want to find out how they can be protected from the future. That's the initial step. But it leads to being drawn to God in a relationship. Notice Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Let's look there for a moment. Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 31 and verse 30, 
verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand. Notice, you know, the Old Testament. So many people typify him as a tyrant, as a monster. And yet the language is, I, I took them by the hand, like, like leading a small child, like leading someone who was helpless and needed help. I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Another picture of someone who cares for them, someone who's, who's taking care of them, uh, taking care of their needs. Verse 33, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I'll be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The process of people in the millennium getting to know God, developing a relationship with God. It all starts with the events of this day, but it leads to something. It leads to them getting to know him, having a relationship, being drawn to him. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? So they will be taught that we all are walking together, we all are walking with God, but God's making the rules. So we're walking in step with God. And when we go to the feast, we get a picture of what a beautiful thing that is when people all over the world are learning to walk with God. Brethren, what about us? You know, we are talking about the world, but what about our conversion process where we are going from obeying just because we want to escape consequences to being drawn into a relationship with him and having godly fear, which means we love him, we revere him, we have a sense of awe towards him, but we have a relationship with him. We don't run away we're running towards him. When it comes to getting to know God, we really can't uh, skip one other point, and that's in 1 John 4.16. Notice in 1 John 4.16. It says here in 1 John 4.16, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now, God is a being. God is a powerful being who rules the entire universe, who made the entire universe. God is not a concept, right? And yet it says God is love. So what does that mean? Well, it means that this is his way of life that when you think of what he would do, it's always motivated by love. It's always motivated, motivated by how he has our best interests at heart, even if we don't understand it at the time. So, so you might even say God is love because that's, that describes everything he does. So going on, verse 17, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. We started talking about Luke 21 and the differences between how people will respond to Christ's return. How will we have boldness in that day of judgment? How will we respond in the right day? Well, if we are walking with God in the way we're talking about how the whole world will, will learn to walk with God. There is no fear in love, verse 18, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. It doesn't mean that from time to time we, we get frightened. From time to time we're scared. David was, was, you know, virtually every psalm he wrote started off with him being frightened about something. But the more he thought about and meditated on God, the stronger he was. 
And if we are thinking like God, if we are beginning to really align ourselves with God, we're going to have more and more boldness because we're going to be filled with his love and his way of thinking. Not just a warm, fuzzy feeling for other people. Okay, before we close, let's look at one last point. Notice I said before we close. Not closing yet. But before we close. Number six. I was going to come up with seven points, but sorry, it's only six. Number six. Godly fear produces every good thing that all people want and need. You know, when it comes down to it, People all over the world, they all need the same thing. They all want to live their lives in peace. They all want to have relationships that help and, and bolster and strengthen them. They all want to have, have food on the table. And they all want to be able to go about and, do, and live their lives without harassment and be blessed. Godly fear is fundamental to so many things. In a few final minutes, let's look at a few things. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. We read here, Proverbs 3. And verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your Paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the eternal and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. The more and more we get in line with Him, the more and more we're walking with Him, the more we're thinking like Him, He says it will be health to your flesh, strength to your bones. Proverbs 13. And verse 13, notice, these are the things we're going to learn, going to teach to others if we're learning them now. If we're learning them now. Proverbs 13, verse 13. He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Does it mean you you have to be afraid of the law? No, no. We should be afraid of the consequences of breaking the law, just like we're wary of running out into traffic. It means we respect what God says, and if we walk with Him, the the law describes how He walks, so we want to be like Him. And we'll be rewarded for that, He says. Proverbs 14.26, 14.26, it says, In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and His children will have a place of refuge. Now, wait a minute. If fear means terror, then how could you say there's confidence if we have terror? Well, the point is it doesn't mean terror in this context. It means awe and respect and reverence. It means getting our life in gear with God and in tune with God, and then we will have more and more confidence. And he even refers to a place of refuge. How good could that be? Especially in the time that we're living in the future coming. Psalm uh, chapter 19. Psalm 19 and verse 7. Notice Psalm 19 and verse 7. Psalm 19, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Do we want to be clean Does this whole world need to be clean and want to be clean? We know it is not clean now. We know it's filthy now, and it needs to be cleaned up. God produces a, a clean, good, and fresh feeling when we get in line with Him. The fear of the Lord is clean, 
gives us the opportunity to repent and, and be cleaned up and change and be forgiven and go forward and have that the stain of sin removed. And what a wonderful feeling that is. Psalm 25. Psalm 25 and verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. God says fearing Him opens up the secret of the Lord. He reveals truth. He gives us clarity in our lives. He gives us understanding on how to navigate through the world, how to order our steps. He shows us things we didn't see before. He shows us His covenant. We have an opportunity to, to, to understand the relationship which is described by the covenant, the relationship that he wants to have with every human being because we fear him, because we have awe and respect and revere for him and we're drawn toward him. That's what godly fear is. Psalm 34, Psalm 34 Psalm 34 and verse 9, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no lack to those who fear Him. Wow, you know, in a time of coming calamity, in a time of famine, in a time of violence and food shortages, God says if we fear Him, He'll take care of us. There will be no lack. That's something we can really use, isn't it? So we have a choice. The whole world will have a choice. We have a choice now. We're learning it now. We can face that time with trust and faith and confidence, learning to fear God every day. Or we can fall into the patterns of the world and we can suffer the things that were described today, but God doesn't want us to. There is a profound difference between worldly human carnal fear and godly fear, and this Feast of Trumpets highlights the fact that there are two differences. Let's turn in conclusion to Revelation 19 and verse 1. Revelation 19 and verse 1. As we were hearing Mr. Strain this morning... He was reading some of the passages here in chapter 18 and verse 19. And we're going to close with a section right here in the beginning of chapter 19. Notice, verse 1, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. That's the God that the whole world will be introduced to. And thank God for that. For their sake, thank God for that. Yes, it will be painful and hard for a while. For a while but it will lead to a relationship. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are His judgments, because He has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He has avenged on her the blood of His servants shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, and those who fear Him, both small and great. Brethren, that day will come. That day will come. When all small and all great will learn to fear God. Let's thank God for this day. Let's thank God for His plan. Let's thank God that He is going to teach the whole world godly fear. And let's make sure we are learning it now for our sakes, for our future, 
but also so we can teach the whole world too.